Okay, we are in the book of Acts. There's also an announcement in here about uh, VBS that we're doing at campus clubs. Uh, Amanda is heading that up. We need volunteers for that. It is a great time. This will be our third time doing it. Uh, so if you have time during the day, volunteer, talk to Amanda. Uh, she can give you all the details. Um, this week we're in Acts chapter 18. We've been going through the book of Acts uh, verse by verse, and we've been watching the the start of the church, really the Christian faith, the growth of Christianity, and its spread throughout the world. Um, Paul, last week, was in Athens when we looked at chapter 17, and now Paul moves on from there, and we're going to talk about where Paul goes, um, but really we're going to spend more time talking about uh, this amazing couple that Paul meets, Aquila and Priscilla. And that's where we will focus most of our attention this morning. I think what we will see in them uh, and in their growing faith is a model, a New Testament model for how Christian growth takes place. And I want us to see this because I think it's a model that applies to us today as well, maybe something that we need to uh, be more intentional about. So, I want to ask you some questions, and then I'm going to ask these questions again at the end of the service. Uh, and, and so this is just to get you thinking as we, as we go through our verses this morning. But in light of what we see, or we are going to see in Aquila and Priscilla, are you, you personally, um, mature or even maturing in the gospel faith? In light of what we see in, in Paul, are you helping others uh, to grow in their faith? Are you a disciple who makes disciples? Now, we're going to come back to those questions, and I think we'll see all of that in this chapter. But I want us to pray first, uh, and then we'll jump into Acts 18. I ask if you would pray, I ask every week. Pray with me. The Lord hears all of our prayers, so don't just listen to me. Pray for our time together. Pray that God would be good to us. Uh, pray that the Holy Spirit would be um, good to, to encourage us this morning, um, maybe to convict us where that's needed, to teach us, to shape us more into the image of Jesus. Will you pray those things with me? Yes, good. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you first just that we can come because of Jesus and pray. And, and thank you for being a mighty and amazing God who hears every, every word uttered in this place this morning and across the world. You, you, you know our prayers. You hear our prayers. Um, how amazing. How amazing that we can come to you, the creator and sustainer of all that is. So we come, Father. We come um, as sons and daughters. We come needy. Uh, we, we need your help today. Uh, Holy Spirit, we need you to, to, to be present in a mighty way, to open our eyes, to soften our hearts, to help us to hear the word of God this morning. We need your help in, in, in our Christian walk uh, to be all that you want us to be. So we, we pray. We pray for help in hearing. We pray for help in receiving. We pray for help in becoming, becoming all that you want us to be. Uh, be good to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's uh, jump into Acts chapter 18. We'll look at the first five verses. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. 
And when he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So last week, Paul, as we looked at this, Paul was in Athens in chapter 17, and he heads to Corinth, which is where we pick up today. And when Paul comes to Corinth, Paul did what he did everywhere else. As we've seen, when he traveled, on the Sabbath, he would go to the synagogue where the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles gathered to praise and worship and learn more about God. Paul was hoping in visiting there that he would be able to persuade those Jews and God-fearers that Jesus is the promised Christ. Now, Paul does this by opening the Scriptures. We talked about this last week, how they received the Word of God, how they believed the Scriptures. And so Paul would open the Scriptures and he would begin to show them from the Old Testament how Jesus was the fulfillment of all of the promises of the Old Testament and the prophecies actually pointed to Jesus, how Jesus was the Redeemer, the forgiver of sin, and he would be the one to fix all of the brokenness caused by sin. So, so what Paul is saying is here's the great news, right? The prophets, they all told about the one who would come and, and, and save, the one who would forgive sins. God has indeed sent the Messiah and we have seen him. Paul says his name is Jesus. Believe this good news. Repent and believe in Jesus. So in Corinth, Paul is doing that as he does everywhere else. He connects in Corinth with this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. Now, a little bit of their backstory. Aquila and Priscilla believed the gospel. This is where it begins for them. Aquila and Priscilla believed the gospel. History tells us, and we're reading here in this uh, chapter, but history tells us that when the gospel uh, came to Rome, the Jews were enraged by the gospel and those who were proclaiming the gospel, and there was a lot of civil unrest and there were riots. So Claudius, um, the, 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 the ruler, decided the easiest thing to do was to kick all of the Jews out of Rome. Believers and unbelievers alike, if you were a Jew, you were kicked out of Rome. That's why Priscilla and Aquila had left, and that's why they landed in Corinth. So somewhere in Rome or in Corinth, um, Aquila and Priscilla heard the gospel, right? The message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They, they heard the gospel, and they believed in Jesus. They trusted in him for the forgiveness of their sins, not in their own works, not in the uh, keeping the law as the Jews did, but trusting in Jesus, that salvation was in him alone, that forgiveness was through him alone. They believed the good news of the gospel, and in that they became Christians. Now, that's the same for us. Like, this is how you become a Christian. It is by hearing the good news of the gospel, who Jesus is and what he's done for us, and believing in the good news rather than trusting in yourself. See, the truth is, you aren't born a Christian. None of us is born a Christian. We aren't christened into Christianity. Uh, we aren't a Christian because we go to church a certain number of times. We aren't a Christian because we walked an aisle one day and we were baptized. Christians are people who trust in the work of Jesus. 
Christians are people who trust in what he has done rather than in what we have done or could do on our own. Uh, Christians have a point in their life when, when maybe as children, maybe as adults, where they go from not trusting in Jesus to trusting in him. Now, I'm not talking about knowing the story of Jesus and giving mental assent to that. I mean trusting in who Jesus is and what he's done. I mean believing with our heart that Jesus is Lord, right? I, I know that sounds like Christian cliche. It's not. There, there, there is a time for every Christian when they came to believe the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla, at some point, whether it was in Rome or in Corinth, they came to believe the gospel. But listen to me, they did not stop with just believing the gospel. Aquila and Priscilla grew in the gospel. They grew in the gospel. Um, growth, growth should happen to all healthy organisms on some level, right? I, I, everything that is healthy grows to some extent. Plants grow, animals grow, people grow, uh, Christians grow. Healthy Christians grow. First Peter 2, chapter 2 says that believers should, Peter says, believers should long for the pure spiritual milk that leads us to grow up in our salvation. Peter was urging the church, don't be satisfied with where you are. Long to know him more. Long to grow in him more. Long to know and love Jesus more and more and more, growing up into our salvation. There is more to salvation than being saved from our sin. Right? But that's where most of us stop. Like we're just happy that we're saved from our sin. And we should be. Don't get me wrong on that. We should be ecstatic that we are forgiven of our sin. We're saved from our sin. We'll be with him forevermore. But there is more to being saved from our sin. There's more to salvation than that. We, we are not only saved from, we are saved to. We are saved too. And growth in the New Testament means we are growing in those twos. We are growing more and more in the image of Jesus. We are, we are growing to look more and more like him. The, the, the New Testament gives us a picture of that. And the New Testament tells us like this is what it means to grow in your salvation. That we are growing more and more and more so that our lives look more and more like the life of Jesus. We live like Jesus, we love like Jesus, we worship like Jesus, we pray like Jesus. More and more, as we grow, and we should be growing if we are healthy Christians, we are growing to look like Jesus. And we talk at New City about what some of that means. Um, we describe these areas of growth and what it should look like in our lives. We describe ourselves like if we are healthy, we are a family of missionary servants. Right? These are identities. Identities not just that we find in Scripture. We do find them there. But identities that we find in Christ himself. And, and our salvation. We are saved not just to be forgiven of our sin. But when we are saved we are brought into a new family. 
We are made family with one another, family with him. That's what we mean by family. We are made missionaries. God gives us a new purpose in our life. He calls us to his mission of redemption and restoration of people who are far from him. God makes us servants. All of these identities we see in Christ. So when we look at Jesus, we look at his life, um, his life forever. Like we, we can go all the way back to the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and see a picture of what family should look like. Jesus lived in perfect union um, with the Holy Spirit and with the Father, the Trinity, the three in one, in perfect community and perfect unity together. Jesus also gives us a picture of what it looks like to, to live as family in the life that he lived with his disciples for those three years. They weren't just acquaintances who happened to bump into each other once a week when they were at the temple. Now, what I'm trying to do there is say that's how we live with the people around us. Right? Our acquaintances that we often just run into once a week when we go to church. That's not the way that Jesus lived. They were family. They did life together. That's not a Christian cliche. They really did life together. They supported one another. They prayed for one another. Um, they, they mourned together. They celebrated together. They ministered together. They truly loved one another. And that's what family is. And we see that in the life of Jesus and his disciples. Uh, Jesus also shows us that our life is, is, is meant for more than most of us live our life for. Most of us live our life, and it's understandable, we, we, we live for our job, we live for an income, we live to save for retirement, we live to, uh, to send our kids to school. All of those things are good, and they are definitely a part of our life, but the truth is that God has given us a much bigger life than that. God has called us when we came to Christ. God called us in the Great Commission. He commissioned us as his missionaries. We could go all the way back to Genesis, the beginning. In the beginning, when God gave a mission to Adam and Eve, and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, expand the, the bounds of the garden. That's our mission even now. That's the mission that Jesus gave the, to the disciples. We expand the bounds of the garden. We grow the kingdom of God when we share the gospel with other people and help them come to know Jesus and love and follow him. That's the life that we are called to. If you're a banker, it's great. It pays your bills, provides for your future, but you're a banker on mission. If you're a mechanic, it's the same thing. It's great. You're a mechanic. Fix things. Help people by fixing things. But you have a greater caller than being a mechanic and saving up for retirement and taking care of your kids. All beautiful things, but God has called you to a much bigger mission. This is the life of Jesus. We see it in Jesus himself who came and did all that he did for his mission. And then he calls us to that mission. We talk a lot at New City as well about our identity as servant. Jesus said that he came not to be served, but to what? To serve. And Paul says in Romans 8 that we are, shaped in, we are being shaped into the image of Jesus. And if that's true and Jesus is a servant, then as we mature and grow, we should look more and more like Jesus. That means we should be what? Servants. We should be servants like Jesus is, serving, serving, serving here at church, serving in our missional community, serving where we work, serving where we live, serving where we play, serving the people that work for us, serving the people that we work for. We serve not because it's something that we have to do. We serve because it's just what servants do. 
And Jesus is making us servants, 24-7 servants. And so we serve. Growing in the gospel means we come to understand these identities and we see all of our life through the lens of the gospel and the truth that this is who we are in Christ. This isn't a list of things we do. This is who we are in Christ. So I think when we read the story of Priscilla and Aquila, we see those identities in them. We see them growing in the gospel. So how did they grow in the gospel? How did they grow in the gospel? First of all, they spent time learning the depths of the gospel, right? They spent time learning the depths of the gospel. One of my favorite passages is Philippians 1.13. Paul was in jail. He was writing to the church in Philippi. He was telling the church who loved him very much, don't worry about me, it will be fine. And all of this has happened, really, Paul says, for the advancement of the gospel. Uh, you might think, now why in the world would this be an advancement of the gospel? You're in jail and can't go anywhere. Paul says, because now, because because I am in jail, the whole praetorian guard, every one of the guards knows about Jesus, and many of them have become believers. That's how it was advancing the gospel. Now, here's the thing. They didn't know about the gospel just because Paul was in jail. They knew about the gospel because they were, an, they were the captive audience, not Paul. And so Paul talked to them about Jesus over and over and over again. I, I am sure some of them were absolutely sick of having to guard Paul because they had to hear the gospel every day they were with him. That's what Paul did. Paul shared the gospel with them. Similarly, right, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this is because Paul spent a year and a half living with Aquila and Priscilla. How much do you think they talked about Jesus? Man, I bet they talked about Jesus all the time. A year and a half they lived with Paul. And not only that, like they went to the synagogue with Paul when Paul would go for worship every Sabbath. And every time Paul was given an opportunity to speak there, they were right there with Paul learning from Paul. Learning the depths and the riches of the gospel. Like in Athens, I'm sure Paul went to the market, the town square, and he shared Christ there and shared the gospel there. They were there with him again, listening and learning and mining the depths of the gospel. If that wasn't enough, right? He lived with them. They, they went to those places together. Paul was a tent maker. Well, guess what they were? Tent makers, and they had their own business. Who did Paul work with? Priscilla and Aquila. What do you think they talked about all day, every day? Jesus. How incredible. How incredible. They're asking Paul questions through the day. Paul is asking them questions through the day. And they are learning from him. Paul was also, they had house churches in Corinth. Paul would have been one of the major teachers in that first church. They went to, they went to I, I, we call those MCs, right? Missional communities that meet during the week. They went to MC with Paul. Paul went to a lot of different MCs, and, and, and he taught all of them. And they went to all of those MCs with Paul. Again, mining the riches of the gospel, growing, growing and learning the depths of the gospel. They grew in the gospel because they spent time learning. They grew in the gospel because they immersed themselves in Paul's teaching and in his ministry, in the scriptures and in the gospel. Now listen to me. That's how we grow as well. And if you never spend any time there, you will never grow. This is how you grow. 
Not only that, not only did they, um, did, did they spend time learning the depths of the gospel, but they joined Paul in ministry, right? So just like everywhere else that Paul went, um, I'm not going to read the verses sort of in the middle of this chapter, um, but you can. Uh, everywhere Paul went and the gospel was proclaimed almost everywhere, it seemed like a riot broke out. And, and the same happened in Corinth. And the Jews were stirring people, and there was a riot, and they, they took Paul before the Roman government, and the government said, hey, this isn't our problem, leave the guy alone. Uh, and and so, so they turned on their own. Um, but, but Paul then w- was free to spend more time ministering there. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, Paul stayed on for many more days because he had that freedom. He stayed on many more days and he continued to teach there. And then he took leave and he set sail for Syria. And who was with him? Priscilla and Aquila. They traveled with him to Centuria and to Ephesus. Now, now hear me on this, okay? You listening? Christianity is not the spectator religion that we primarily see today. The reason we, we, we lack depth in our spiritual lives is because we have come to believe that this is all we need. This is spectator. I'm not saying there's not a place for it, right? For us to learn and for someone to teach. That is great. But if this is all you're getting, man, I have come through the years to realize preaching is important. We have to preach the word of God, the whole counsel of God. We're responsible for that. We can't say stupid things. We can't say wrong things. I can't stand here and teach you bad theology. What I do is important, but the truth is in your spiritual life, what I teach you standing here once a week amounts to about that much of your spiritual life. And somehow we've come to believe this is all we need. Come get our fill for the week. Or come get our fill for a couple of weeks. And this is all we have. Christianity is not the spectator religion that we, we, we live most often. The way of growth isn't primarily through watching me. It, 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 it isn't from listening to me preach. Christian growth, the way of growth is primarily from you guys doing things and being involved. It's from doing. Right? Paul is doing with, with Aquila and Priscilla. They're taking this trip. They're going on this mission with them. They've been doing this already in Corinth. So this isn't like their first step. They've been doing ministry with, them, with him, and now they're going with him to another place. Paul is doing with them what Jesus did with the disciples. Jesus taught them about the gospel. He spoke to them about the gospel. He dug into the scriptures with them. And and, and he did all of that in the context of community. He did all of that as a family with his disciples. But then he didn't just fill their heads with knowledge, which is where we often stop. Like, just give me some more knowledge. What, What Jesus did with his disciples then, he took them with him to minister. When Jesus went to minister, the disciples were right there with him. They were doing ministry. And eventually, eventually in the ministry, when Jesus thought they were ready, Jesus sent them out on their own. He sent them out in in pairs. Now you go and you do ministry. Go to these different places. Do what you've seen me do and you've done with me. You do that now on your own and then come back and tell me how it went. 
When they came back, Jesus could, could instruct them. He could give them further instruction. He could give them correction. They were learning the ministry not by sitting in a room listening to Jesus. They were learning the ministry because they were hands-on. They were doing the ministry themselves. They grew not just by hearing, but by doing. Now, let me give you an example of this. I didn't ask for permission, but I think you'll be okay. My youngest son, Jonathan, bought a truck recently. Got a great deal on an old truck, a Ford Ranger, five-speed manual transmission, stick shift. How many of you can drive one of those? Let me see a hand. That's pretty good. That's not bad at all. So Jonathan is learning to drive in this stick shift. So he's not only having to learn to drive, which you have to do, but he's also learning to drive a stick shift at the same time. Now, here's, here's the thing about a stick shift. You know this is true if you've tried it. I can tell you how to do it. I know how to do it, right? I can tell you. And I told him, sitting in a parking lot, here's what you do, right? You're going to push the clutch all the way down to the floor. You know, you're going to put the stick in first gear. And, and then you're going to start easing off on the clutch while you give it just a little bit of gas and you ease on the gas while you're easing out of the clutch and the truck will start rolling. And when you are all the way off of the clutch, man, just give it gas, accelerate. When you, when you need to shift gears, you just push the clutch in, pull it down to second gear and there you go. I can tell you how to do it. I told Jonathan how to do it. Jonathan could repeat to me, okay, push the clutch in, ease out on the clutch, give it a little bit of gas, and then just go. What do you think happened the first time he did it? Same thing that happened to every one of us, right? See, I can tell you how to do it. And you can even repeat it to me. But until you have actually done it yourself, you can't do it. Y'all, that's the way that our Christian life is. I can tell you all about it. I, I can even be excited about it. But until you start doing it yourself, you're just not doing it. It takes practice. It takes getting in there and giving it a try, right? Even when you're not going to be successful the first time. I told Jonathan, you're probably not going to get this right the first time, right? After the first day of us doing it and, 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 and redoing it a number of times, you know, I encouraged Jonathan there and said, you know what? Every one of us had to learn this same way, and you're doing great. This is just the way that it is. Christian ministry is that way. You, you, you just have to give it a try even when it's not successful. The success isn't always in the results. It's in, it's in the practice. It's in learning. It's in growing experience. And, and, and being proficient at it only takes place when you've spent time doing it. Learning to live as family. We talk about that a lot here at New City. Learning to live as family is not easy. Like, we mean it. It's not just words for us. We really want to live as family. We want to love one another, care for one another, do life together as a family. We want to support one another, be there for one another. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard because every one of us is jacked up. All of y'all are messed up. Just like me. And you are going to offend somebody, and you're going to say something wrong, and you're going to do something wrong, and somebody is going to get hurt. Listen, family is not easy, and that's why we need one another to say, ho, 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 
right? right? We're, we're trying, but you don't just quit being family because you, you, you choked down the first time, right? We need somebody to walk along with us and say, hey, here's how the gospel applies to this. You know, here's what it looks like to forgive as you've been forgiven. To forgive as Christ forgave you. We need help living as family. Same is true for being a, a, a missionary. We have this identity as missionary. Y'all hear me harp on this. If you stay here at New City, listen, if you're visiting, just count on it. You're going to hear this over and over again. You're a missionary. We're all missionaries, right? It's not by choice. It's identity. Jesus just made us missionaries. He didn't ask us. He just said, this is what you are. You are now ambassadors for Christ. As though God himself were, were begging through you, be reconciled to the Father through Jesus. That's just who we are. We just stink at it. Learning to be a missionary in everyday life takes practice. We're not going to get it right every single time. It takes practice. And it takes doing it with one another. The same for being a servant. Right? We're going to fail at being a servant. We live in a culture who does not value servants. We live in a culture that values being served. We live in a culture that says, if you're somebody, people serve you. Right? And so we're naturally going to gravitate to that. So we need people around us who will say, well, hang on, buddy. You're not the king. You're a servant. Serve. We need that. I've had people uh, through the years, we have a great connect team. This was years ago, so if, if this story resembles you, it is a complete accident this morning. But we have to make coffee in the mornings. We have those commercial coffee pots, and we make coffee so that everybody who comes can have a cup of coffee if they want it. And our connect team does a great job making coffee, but sometimes... In the past, somebody would get assigned making coffee, and they'd just freak out, like, I don't know how to make coffee. I don't have the gift of making coffee. What am I going to do? It's like, hey, relax. Let me show you how to make the coffee. Here's how you make the coffee. That's, that's the way serving is, all of the areas. I, have, I hear people all the time, I can't be a greeter, I'm an introvert. Y'all, I am an introvert. It is much easier for me to stand up here and talk to you sometimes than it is to talk to all the different people on Sunday mornings. You know what? Get over yourself. Being an introvert, listen, I, I'm, I'm speaking to myself, is not an excuse. God has called you to welcome others as, as you have been welcomed. And so we do that on Sunday morning. We smile. Every one of you can smile. Smile and you say good morning to somebody. You say, welcome to New City. Can I help you with anything? Are you new here? It's not hard. You know what it takes? It takes a willingness and it takes practice. And I think what you'll find is when you practice making coffee or greeting somebody, it's not nearly as hard as you make it out to be. That's the Christian life. Now, it is true that some people are gifted in areas that others are not. I use this example in first service. I sit up here. And I sing really loud. Part of the reason I sit right there is so that nobody has to hear me sing. Because if I was sitting behind you or standing behind you, you wouldn't even hear the band. You would just hear how horrible I sing. It, it, it is a joyful noise unto the Lord. I promise you that. So I know that that is not my gifting. If you ever see me up here trying to lead worship, it is going to be a bad day. It is going to be a bad day for me and for you. 
Um, I know that. Some people are more gifted for certain areas than others. But listen, we don't even know what our giftings and our abilities are sometimes until we jump in and try. This is the model of, of, of Jesus, right? Jesus with his disciples. This is how Jesus grew his disciples. This is how Jesus prepared them to leave him. This is how Paul did with those first disciples that he worked with. He taught them, and then he had them join him in doing things. They became a part of the ministry. They did it in a safe place, right? Like Just like here. It's a safe place. You can be on the greeter team. Nobody is going to stone you if you don't do a great job. Nobody's going to beat you with sticks at the end of the day if you didn't greet people well. I promise. It is a safe place to serve, to learn, to grow, just like it was with Jesus and his disciples, Paul and his disciples as well. Our, everything we do at New City is, is set up for learning in these environments. We have what we call pipelines here, right? So in every area of service, there is a way for you to grow, to grow in taking on more responsibility, to grow in the things that you are doing, to grow in, in how you serve the Lord, to learn what your gifts and talents and abilities are. We design for that. We think about those things. So I'm just, we're just inviting you into the process process that we see that happened with Jesus and with Paul. The same with our missional communities. Missional communities. We do third place gatherings. That'll sound like a foreign language to some of you, but our MC people should know what third place is. We do third places so that we can invite people who aren't a part of New City to join us somewhere that they would feel comfortable. Listen, this isn't just about inviting unbelievers and unchurched people to meet our church family. It's about equipping one another in a safe place to learn how to invite others to those places, to learn how to have conversation with people who are not believers, and hopefully how to have that conversation shaped to point those people to Jesus. That's why we do third place. It's not just an activity that we put on our calendar. We're trying, to, we're trying to build leaders to equip the saints for the works of service, just like Jesus did, just like Paul did. So, so in Aquila and Priscilla's Christian life, we, 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 we see what we should see in our own Christian life. We, we see them believing the gospel. We see them growing in the gospel, learning the depths of the gospel, joining Paul in gospel ministry. And then you know what happened next? Aquila and Priscilla began leading others in the gospel. That's what happened next. Again, I think this is the model of Jesus. I've already described it. Uh, disciples listen and learn. The disciples go with Jesus. Jesus sends the disciples out. Look at verses 24 through 28 with me. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed." 
For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scripture that the Christ was Jesus. So next week we'll talk about this, what it means, the baptism of John. Apollos just, he knew, he knew about John. He knew what John taught. He just didn't know what had happened after John. And and, and he didn't understand the full gospel story at that point. So Aquila and Priscilla have been equipped by Paul. They've ministered with Paul and now they're in this place and they hear Apollos and they see the Lord at work in him and they grab Apollos and they pull him over to the side and they begin to disciple Apollos. They begin to fill in all of the blanks for him that he did not know about the gospel story. They teach him the rest of the story. They equip him so that he can can use his obvious gifting his obvious knowledge of the scriptures, and he can rightly proclaim Jesus to the Jews in that city. And equipped with the gospel, that's exactly what Apollos did. And he became a great encouragement, not only in Ephesus, but in other places as well. And Apollos now went into the synagogues, refuting the Jews, showing them in the scripture that Jesus was the Christ. Isn't that amazing? This is disciples making disciples. That's what this is. This is the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples. This is the great commission actually functioning, playing out just as Jesus intended it to be. Disciples, as they go about their life, making other disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them what it looks like to love and follow Jesus, to obey everything that he commanded. Incredible. So, so we see in this, this chapter a, a beautiful picture of Christian growth from, from becoming believers for, um, for Priscilla and Aquila and, and not stopping there, but growing in their knowledge and their love of the gospel, joining Paul in his gospel ministry, and then leading others in the gospel as well. So let me make some quick application for you. First of all, if you are here this morning and you are an unbeliever, um, he, The Christian faith starts with belief, but it doesn't end there. So two things. One, I want to apologize that you don't see more Christians living like Christians. Like we just stink. Um, And and because of that, we're thankful for grace, right? We are are deemed worthy in God's eyes, not because we get it all right, but because Jesus has. That's the good news of the gospel. So so forgive us for, for not doing this very well. But also, I want to encourage you. You don't have to be perfect to be a Christian. Jesus was perfect for you, right? And so my, my encouragement would be don't leave as an unbeliever. Place your faith and trust in his work, his life, his death, his resurrection. That's where the grace is. That's where the forgiveness is. That's where you are made one with the Father, with God himself. Not because you got it all together. You'll never get it all together, but because Jesus had it all together. So unbeliever, leave here today a believer. Here's another thing for unbelievers and believers alike. Like I was just thinking about that this week. Like, can you believe that God calls us to participate in this? I mean, this is absolutely incredible. It's a beautiful picture right here in front of us. Like we, we, we work, we have jobs, we have kids, we have all of those good things, but, but God has called us to a life that is much richer than that. 
God has called us to, to, to be a part of seeing lives transformed. God's called us to be a part, and His Holy Spirit does the hard work, right? But God has called us to be a part of seeing forever more changed as we proclaim the gospel and people believe it. God has called us to so much more. Our life is so much more than school and job and kids and retirement. Our job is about forevermore. Our job is about, or our life is about seeing lives transformed forever and ever and ever. Absolutely amazing to me. Maybe not to you, but I'm a wretch. Believer. I started with these questions and I want to end with these questions. Where are you in this process of maturity that we talked about? Whether you've been a, a Christian for a, a, a week, a month, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, all of your Christian life is growing in the image of Jesus. Where are you in, in light of what we've seen today? Are, are you mature? Are you maturing in the gospel? Are you helping others grow in their faith in the gospel? Are you, are you a disciple-making disciple? That's really our mission, to be disciples who make disciples. As you go, make disciples. At New City, we say it this way. Our mission here is to help others live in light of the gospel. To help others live in light of the gospel. Not just for you to enjoy the gospel. It's beautiful. I hope you enjoy the gospel. There's more to it than that. Helping others live in light of the gospel unbelievers and believers alike. When, when we do this, we believe that we will see our world turned upside down. This is our vision, in fact, right? If, if we succeed at the mission that God has called us to, we believe that what we will see is everything within our reach transformed, transformed by the gospel. Ourselves, our church, our city, the world, everything within our reach, if we are disciples making disciples, man, that will be incredible. We have a strategy for that, right? These are things on our website, but I just want you to hear them. This is, this is who we are. This is what we do. The way that we accomplish this is by us, you and me, all of us, living as a family of missionary servants, like Priscilla and Aquila. Living as a family of missionary servants, like Paul did with the other disciples. Living as a family of missionary servants, like Jesus did with his disciples. Us living as a family of missionary servants, disciples making disciples. Are you growing in the gospel? Are you serving in the gospel? Are you participating in the Christian life or are you just a spectator? Maybe you're there. If you are, I want to encourage you. Keep doing what you're doing. The Lord will be good to you and there will be spiritual fruit and you will grow and it is absolutely amazing. If you're not there, then, then my encouragement is, is that jump on board, right? Get, get involved in your missional community. Talk to me. Talk to one of the elders today. Be in a DNA group. Actually do third place. Learn, grow, immerse yourself in the gospel. Do the things it takes for there to be spiritual growth and maturity. I want to leave you with this question. I ask it a lot during this series. What do you think it would look like if we just did this? If we weren't spectators, but we were actually disciples making disciples. Wouldn't it be different? See, I really do believe that, that if we did, and I'm, I'm saying me with you, we. I want you to hear that. If we really did this, 
if this was really our lives, I, I think, like we saw a couple of weeks ago, the description of those disciples who were traveling with Paul, we'd turn the world upside down. I think we really would see the gospel transform everything within our reach. Ourselves, our church, our city, and the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, um, gosh, just for not leaving us um, on our own to figure this out. You've given us beautiful pictures in the life of Jesus, in, in the life of the disciples, in the life of Paul and Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, Father, help us. The world pulls us in so many directions other than this. Holy Spirit, we need you to remind us. Remind us of the, of the beautiful life that you've called us to, the, 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 the joy of it, the, the beauty of it, the, the excitement of it, that our, that our lives mean more than we're currently living. Holy Spirit, remind us of that. Help us. I don't, I don't really know how else to pray, but help us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.